Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season three of Living the Sky Life. My guest today is a fellow author, podcaster, and autism mom. Dr. Mary Barbera fell into the autism world in 1999 when her firstborn son, Lucas, was diagnosed with autism. Since then, Mary transformed from a confused and overwhelmed parent to a board-certified behavior analyst and best-selling author. After earning a PhD, Mary launched her first online course in early 2015 and later built additional courses and a membership program to help both parents and autism professionals. In her vlogs, podcasts, books, webinars, and online courses, Mary teaches her unique step-by-step system and method to help children with autism talk more while reducing tantrums and other problem behaviors. Mary's latest book, Turn Autism Around, was published in 2021 and is helping parents and professionals start turning things around for young children with early signs of autism and older children with an autism diagnosis who are still struggling with talking, tantrums, eating, sleeping, and potty training. Mary and I get into a lot of those things and exactly what she means by turn autism around. So please enjoy my episode with Dr. Mary Barbera. So welcome back to Living the Sky Life. Um, I'm excited to have my guest today, Mary Barbera. I'm sure most of you in the autism world have seen all of her posts and follow her on social media, but um, we've kind of exchanged messages and comments for the past year or so, and uh, we finally have connected. So welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me, Laurie. I'm excited. Absolutely. Um, I know I was a guest on yours, and I don't know at this point when we're recording if this has aired yet, um, but we talked a lot about Skylar and about our personal journey. Um, But with you, I want to kind of dive into a different conversation. Um, Obviously, our sons are older, and your son, Lucas, is an adult now. Um, So I don't want to take you all the way back, because I know in your books, and you've talked about your diagnosis story and all of that stuff before. Um, but you have decades worth of experience um, with all things related to autism, first as a parent and now um, as a BCBA and a best-selling author on the topic, many topics related to autism. Um, so can you share a little bit about your journey and what inspired you to dedicate your medical degree and all of the things you have going on to autism and helping parents and, and caregivers? Yeah. Um, So Lucas is 25 now. So Mm -hmm. back in the late 1990s, um, I had my kids back to back. Um, Lucas was born in 96 and Spencer was born in two days after Christmas in very late 97. And um, I had a master's degree in nursing administration. And I was taking time off to, you know, have my kids. And I thought I would go back into the nursing field um, and uh, 
do some work there when I was when I was ready to go back to work. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I thought everything was going fine and I had two little boys and I brought my younger son, Spencer, to his first well visit at two months of age. And um, my husband said, you know, my husband's a, a physician and he said, just ask the doctor how many words Lucas should have. Um, and uh, I did. And he said 25 words. And um, I'm coming home driving with the baby in the back going like, okay, I can count E-I-E-I-O as five words. And I can count like ball, even though I didn't hear it. And I can count like some little delayed echolalia phrase, um, which I had no idea what that was, you know, but it was like, I was grasping at straws. And when I got home, you know, we had the conversation and then my husband uh, said, so you don't think he has autism? And I was like, what, you know, so, um, so I told him on that day, I never, ever want to hear the word autism again. And I went into a deep state of denial. And, and I know like, you know, it's important that we go back because I, I literally, um, you know, my denial didn't help Lucas. I mean, and he progressed and he started to, you know, in the spring look a little better. And he went to typical preschool at two without support, without a diagnosis. He started speech therapy, like, but there's lots of families that go through that journey where it is just a speech delay. It is mm -hmm. just, you know, you have two babies back to back, they get sick, they had RSV early on, you know, too much time inside watching Barney. I'm, you know, I'm just trying, kids go through stages where they don't sing the little song anymore or don't wave to the camera or they become picky eaters or their sleep is off. And so it's, it's just really confusing. So to make a very long story short, he was diagnosed the day before his third birthday. And my husband mentioned the possibility of autism at like 21 months. So mm -hmm. a lot of time. And then he didn't start, um, ABA therapy. I mean, started speech therapy and that sort of thing earlier, but he didn't start ABA therapy till 39 months, which is still early, mm -hmm. relatively early compared to well, a lot of people. Um, and he did well and, 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 but he, you know, didn't do as well as I believe he could have had I caught it earlier. And so with my, my nursing degree, I was just like, well, what are the signs? And like, why didn't anybody tell me about pointing being so important or hand leading where, you know, a child takes somebody's hand and puts it on something like that's, that's actually a red flag for autism, potentially mm -hmm. um, lack of pointing. And, and so then I got very interested in like, we need to like teach the physicians. So I got involved with a first signs grant, went all over Pennsylvania. I founded the autism society in my County. Like I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Uh, we need to educate people. And then a few years later, um, I became a board certified behavior analyst and, uh, worked for a state statewide grant, um, in Pennsylvania for seven years. And then I wrote, you know, I wrote my first book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, and the second book. But, you know, all along, you know, I've been trying to help Lucas. So early on, I'd go to conferences to learn what to do to help Lucas. And then once I became a behavior analyst, it was about like, okay, this could help Lucas. This could help Johnny, who doesn't speak at all. This could help 
all these kids who are intermediate learners. And so I have just become, you know, a major advocate for kids all over the spectrum and for those kids in early intervention who may or may not go on to have autism. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's like, well, you know, autism can't be changed and you can't turn it around. And who said these kids are going to actually go on to get a diagnosis? Mm -hmm. Um, And then with COVID in the mix, a lot of kids, you know, are having social and language problems related to isolation and, and lack of engagement. And they're just going to preschool for the first time at four or daycare because they've spent half their life in isolation. So I think it's a, it's just a confusing time. And, you know, I am really on a mission to empower parents and professionals, but mostly parents to become the captain of the ship, to really be empowered to detect and treat the earliest signs of autism. And for people like you, Lori, and myself, who have older kids, uh, teens or adults with moderate to severe autism to help to continue to empower them to mm-hmm. make changes to improve the quality of their kids' lives and their own lives. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I'm sure like you, the, the numerous people that I've met along Skylar's journey and our journey, um, it's, it's always fascinating when I find out what they did for a living before having kids or um, there's been so many people that I've met that have that were special education teachers just by choice I mean they just loved that field and a lot of nurses and a lot of just a lot of people even writers and I swear I am now a believer that our passion and our future kind of finds us and dictates what we do I mean people would have asked me you know 15 years ago, what do you, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And my career was fine. I was doing whatever. Um, but just knowing that you have the medical background and that you went through that period of denial, it's so great that you are very vocal about that because I think parents feel extremely guilty if they don't latch on to the autism diagnosis and immediately start advocating and doing all these things when their child is three years old. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I was in denial too. And I thought, well, I can get enough therapy and I can catch him up to his peers. I can overcome all of these delays. These, I just kept latching onto the words developmental delay. I'm like, he doesn't necessarily have autism yet. I think they're just saying that because he's hypotonic and he's really tiny and he has trouble eating and he has a lot of muscle delays that look like autism. So I I wasn't like quick to like grasp onto it too back then, but you know, I just, I think it's important that you say that because, you know, let them go through that period of like trying to figure it all out, then use your resources in your books and all of the stuff that you have uncovered for them to help them get started early so that they can maybe just end up with a little bit of a delay then they kind of fix all that stuff and they're not labeled with severe autism when their children are adults. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, as you were talking, Lori, I was thinking of, of uh, something I wrote in my first book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, and I just grabbed it quick. So this is actually on the very last page of the book. And um, it's about like our careers and what we're planning to do. So it, I say, um, this section is called Making Lemonade. Um, my own journey through autism has been about making the best of the situation for myself, my son, and my family. Ironically, before Lucas was diagnosed, um, I was at a mommy's group 
where the icebreaker question was to tell what we had done before our children were born and what we plan to do in the future. Spencer was only one at the time and Lucas was two and a half and not yet diagnosed with autism. When it was my turn to answer the icebreaker question, I stated that I had been a nurse manager and that in the future, I could see myself going back to school and earning a PhD and becoming a researcher, writer, and expert on some yet to be determined topic. Although I had no idea what, the, what that topic would be autism, I am happy to report that I am fulfilling that prediction of more than seven years ago. And th this book is 2007. So more than two decades ago, that's what I said at the mommy's group icebreaker kind of gives me chills as I, uh -huh. as I read that, but like, as you were saying, you know, um, and I've met lots of moms who have no medical or educational background and they just become the hashtag gung-ho moms that are just amazing. Yeah, it is. It is just fascinating. I mean, it really is just seeing, because I think, and I've said this before, I, I for the longest time, I tried to not disassociate, but I didn't want to just be known as Skylar's autism mom or my, my child is autism. So I'm an autism warrior mom and all these things. I didn't want to embrace that because there's so much more to him than just being autistic. And I have a neurotypical child too. And I just didn't want that to be my only identity. I'm a professional in the medical industry too. I have a lot of stuff going on. Um, but then, you know, when I embraced it and I kind of thought, well, I mean, that is one of my identities. And if I can help other people and I love writing and I just, it just kind of all came together to do a book and to do all those things. And if it helps anyone, I guess that that is my purpose. That is my mission to try to help other families that are, you know, the resources are just so plentiful now compared to what we had when our kids are little. So they are, but you know, the autism rate has also gone up from mm -hmm. about 500 when Lucas was diagnosed to about one in 50 today. So, yep. you know, even though, um, there's a lot more resources, there's actually a lot more information and a lot more opinions and a lot more, um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it causes confusion. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. A lot more confusion. And that's why I've really, um, in the past couple of years, really hyper-focused on the little kids where, you know, you, if you catch the earliest signs, maybe it's not going to turn out to be autism, but, you know, um, maybe it's, maybe it is a speech delay and maybe it is autism, but I do believe that you can, um, maybe you can't change the autism uh, per se, the autism diagnosis or the, you know, um, that the child is going to be on the autism spectrum. But I do believe, and research has, has shown that you can um, turn speech delays around in some cases, you know, completely. You can turn behavioral disorders around and you can turn and maybe prevent intellectual disability from hopping on board and being um, diagnosed with autism. Mm -hmm. uh, but nobody has a crystal ball and we don't yeah. have two Lucases or two Schuylers to put in a double blind study. And the techniques that I teach are all child-friendly, parent-friendly, 
you know, great for typical kids, great for speech delayed kids. So it doesn't matter. The treatment mm-hmm. is actually just really great parenting, learning to increase language, decrease problem behaviors and work on all the areas that even typically developing kids struggle with. So there's really no con for mm-hmm. embracing this, this very positive child-friendly yet proven ABA approach. Yeah. Well, um, so I guess let's just kind of dive into your second book. Um, Turn Autism Around is the title and it was published earlier this year. Um, and I, and I love the description of it, that it empowers parents, caregivers, and early intervention professionals to regain hope and take back control with simple strategies to dramatically improve outcomes for their children. Um, and so we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, the word cure and how that's a, that's a really touchy word in this community. Um, but so obviously you're not saying turn autism around by, you know, doing some of these methods that you can eliminate autism and kind of cure them. And, you know, we know they don't age out of autism and all of that. So, but what you were saying earlier is that early intervention beyond what we already kind of know as the buzzwords of early intervention, doing first steps and doing some therapies and things really targeting, um, what your child needs is that kind of more the focus instead of just throwing everything at them and yeah um so turn autism around is the name of my podcast um i came up with the name literally i was taking a how to podcast course from pat flynn and you know he recommended three to five words with autism in the title and you know i'm playing around with words and turn autism around seemed seemed hopeful seemed you know, um, brief. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and for some kids, you know, turn autism around for, you know, for a two-year-old that might not be autism. So these are turning around the earliest signs of autism, which could be early signs of ADHD or early signs of, um, other things, learning, Mm -hmm. learning disabilities. Um, so teaching kids to point, teaching kids to respond to their name, teaching kids to interact with adults, teaching kids not to tantrum for things, but to use sign or pictures or vocal language to request. So we are trying to turn around those kind of things because I do have a procedure. I have a whole bonus video within my course on teaching pointing you know, and you're like, well, should you be doing that? Because then when they go for a diagnosis, they're going to be pointing or they're going to be responding to their name. So maybe they won't get a diagnosis. We have to spend every day trying to get our kids as high, high language, as independent with low problem behaviors. Like nobody, you can't wait for nine months to two years for a diagnosis. So in, in a lot of respects, the toddlers um, aren't usually diagnosed. Like half the members in my toddler course, their parents don't have a diagnosis yet. Mm-hmm. They're trying to turn things around just like we would if we're doing standard early intervention. But that standard early intervention looks very much like the standard early intervention two decades ago. One hour of speech, one hour of teacher, one hour of OT. And I'm here to say, as a registered nurse and a behavior analyst, we need a behavioral approach, at least intertwined with that. 
because if not, and I've worked with teams of OTs, PTs, speech, you know, we can work collaboratively with the child at the center, the parent at the center, but we have to address behavior problems um, all together using the science, not just willy nilly. Oh, well, he needs the pacifier because he cries when we take it away. And then the speech therapist says, well, we have to get rid of the pacifier because it's impeding his speech. And, you know, and all this conflicting uh, advice that's further confusing the parents and stalling out kids. So I am all about getting things moving either alone as a parent. I mean, I have people from over 90 countries who have purchased my courses. You know, if you're alone somewhere and don't have resources and your child's not even in the early intervention system, you can start to make progress. Mm -hmm. If you have a full team in place, making sure everybody's on the same page. This is not about egos. This is about what is best for the child. And I've worked hand in hand with a lot of early intervention professionals and I do think, I mean, I, I know I'm not always right. And I learn something new every day and everything has to be individualized to the child and family, but we need to make progress as soon as there's a delay, not as soon as there's an autism diagnosis, mm -hmm. we need to try to be constantly. And sometimes only 15, 30 minutes a day, you can incorporate it into your general parenting, but I am all about that's turning autism around and turning autism around. I had this one mom join the toddler course when it first came out and she really helped her three-year-old like amazing turnaround, you know, um, with speech and all kinds of things. And then she took the verbal behavior bundle course because she also had an 11 year old with severe autism. And then she emailed me and she said, you know, that her 11 year old, um, this was the first day ever that he had a bowel movement on the toilet in his whole 11 years. And she was so happy and excited. So for him, turning autism around means getting closer to being potty trained. So, you know, I, I've been kind of attacked for turning autism around, you, you know, you know, if you're going to argue with me about the title, then in my opinion, you don't have the same kind of autism that my son has. And, and you don't have, you know, maybe you were delayed as a child, as a two-year-old, but like you don't have expertise in, in, in early intervention and everything. If you are arguing with me about the title, like I just mm -hmm. don't have time to defend the whole field of ABA or defend <laughs> title or defend the fact that I don't believe autism is a gift for uh, people that are very impaired. I don't think it's a, gift. you don't think it's a blessing. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's hard for me when people say that I get like really irritated because why would it, it's like saying, you know, cancer was a blessing to my child. No, it's not it, anything that makes them challenge outside of their normal everyday you know, things that they want to do with their life and they have challenges left and right. That's not a blessing. We just work with what we've got and we make it better for them. And I mean, Lucas is a gift in my life. Yes. And the fact that, you know, um, I've gained, you know, my passion and purpose and I can help others. That's all a gift. 
but his delays, and even as a, even if you know no one with autism, which I'm sure nobody's listening that doesn't know anybody <laughs> with autism, well, why would you, who would have time for that? But even if you're just a taxpayer, autism is not a gift. I mean, school districts are going broke trying to provide these varying degrees of, of supports. And um, so, um, yeah, so I, I hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. What's, what's yeah, it, it definitely does. And, you know, I love that you um, offer workshops and courses, and I want to talk about that in a second too. But, you know, your point about not necessarily waiting for an autism diagnosis, I think every single parent that I've met and talked to and um, that has a child on the spectrum, no matter the age, all start their stories similarly. They all say, yeah, I noticed that about you know, 12 months, 18 months, whatever they were, you know, dis delayed in a certain area, whether it was physical delay, speech delay, um, you know, just lots of things. We all need to trust our gut and notice these things. And we all do. Then I think the panic sets in and everybody immediately feels like we've got to get into an autism center. We've got to get into a psychiatrist. Somebody has to diagnose my child with this because, and I used to think this, and it kind of was this way back in 2006 when Skylar was diagnosed, but um, that we needed the autism diagnosis to get first steps, to get therapy, to get services. Um, the PDD NOS did nothing for us. I mean, people were like, well, let's just wait and see if he has autism. Meanwhile, I'm like, I can't wait and see because he'll already be three and then he ages out of services. So then I have to find all of these people. So what I like about your courses and workshops and how you have it tailored to parents of toddlers and then parents of middle schoolers and also industry professionals to take the courses too, to learn things that, you know, maybe obviously things have advanced um, from their training maybe and um, all of that. But so do people, can people log on and, um, you know, at any time and do courses, is it kind of geared towards specific um, delays? So if my child was, you know, three and not potty trained and not showing any in interest in that, is there a course designated just to toilet training and then speech and things like that? Yeah. So, um, Right now we have two courses. We have the toddler preschooler course, that's for parents and early intervention professionals working with kids ages one to five-ish who um, have a diagnosis or just have some delays. Um, you know, we have, we have people in there with 16 month olds, no diagnosis. We have people with four-year-olds with no diagnosis. And we have lots of people who just got the diagnosis um, and, you know, or have people that had a diagnosis at two have been doing therapies, not seeing a lot of progress. In the toddler course, we have a bonus video on potty training and we have, you know, the whole curriculum to increase language and decrease problem behaviors. We all have a bonus video on sleep. We have a bonus video on how to teach pointing, um, how to get a COA control, like in terms of they're speaking, but they're not saying because we noticed that, well, over the years, if once you get a child echoing, a lot of expansion or floodgates might open for the child to fully be able to speak, not conversational speak, but once we can get some um, echoing going, it's, it's better. So that's all together. And um, then we have another set of courses called the Verbal Behavior Bundle. And that 
was created, started to be created back in 2015 for one to 12-year-olds. And then I made a second course that's part of the bundle for intermediate learners, like how to teach prepositions and pronouns, how to teach showering and dressing and um, how to teach reading, writing and math, how to teach interverbal webbing and, you know, more conversational skills. So um, while that was all created over the years, um, I felt like I needed the toddler preschooler course to be like, okay, here's really tailored information because this whole bundle is kind of a little bit more overwhelming. And as your child ages, like for you, Lori, we have people and we recommend people start if they're one to five, start with the toddler preschooler. Those people will move on to the bundle um, in a lot of cases. But you like if you started the course, the verbal behavior bundle would be where you started. It's not really created for 18 year olds. However, all of this stuff, if you have an older child, um, or a teen, um, you know, that still has problems with talking and, uh, you know, potty sleep and behavior problems, any yeah, you can learn, um, most of the videos in both the courses, um, both the early learner, the toddler and the early learner part of the bundle are videos of me working with very young children in early intervention, where I had video permission, um, so you have to, you know, just like the Turn Autism Around book, it, the subtitle is an action guide for parents of young children with early signs of autism, but there's a whole chapter on potty. There's a whole chapter on sleep. There's a whole chapter on problem behaviors. There's a whole chapter on desensitization, going to the doctor's dentist haircuts without mm. a fuss, breaking things down. So I want to- still applicable. Start, <laughs> yeah, it, it's so applicable. You just have to kind of skip the- signs of autism mm -hmm. chapter, which is chapter two, but safety is chapter three. That's still applicable. You know, chapter four is on assessment. So a, a mom or a professional or dad um, could definitely read the book, attend a free workshop and see if they really have, um, you know, the interest in taking the course. So right now, those are our two offerings. We do have free potty, a free potty guide and a free sleep guide. Um, you can probably find any of those guides or information by just searching Mary autism plus whatever topic you're struggling with. And you'll, you'll, you can hear a podcast, you could, you know, but there is so much information out there, not just for me, but I mm -hmm. do produce weekly information and I have for over five years. Um, so there's lots of information out there and I've been kind of quote unquote curating my content in my two paid courses. We are looking at maybe in 2022 um, to do some smaller offerings um, on specifically like potty training. But what I've seen over the years is potty training may not be your biggest problem. And so I have been kind of, I want you to use my whole approach to assess, to find out your biggest problem. So, so if a child of any age is not potty trained, but also not talking and has aggression and property destruction and runs out in the street, then 
I'm here to gently tell you that potty <laughs> training needs to go on the back burner yeah. <laughs> until you get aggression and running out in the street and those safety issues, um, not necessarily solved. And, and you can be spinning multiple plates at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I have been somewhat resistant to helping people just solve one little issue, except for the free content. Like if you want to solve biting, search Mary autism biting. And I have a free video blog with some tips that really might help you solve biting. You know what I mean? But if mm-hmm. you've got a very complex case and the older the kids get, the bigger they get, the more services they've had in place, the more um, kind of therapy they've had that hasn't solved it. So there's just a lot more challenges with, mm-hmm. with solving that without individual guidance. Are the courses all recorded? So they do them at their own pace um, yeah. or do you do live webinars and live things too? Um, I do a live Q and a call, um, once a month for our members, but mm-hmm. it is at your own pace That's and nice. on evergreen and people can go to a free workshop and they'll go to the right workshop based on the age and your, your status as a parent or professional. And we've had grandparents and, you know, other yeah. caregivers. So marybarbera.com forward slash workshop will kind of get you into seeing like, is this even remotely what I'm interested in? And then you'll, you'll get an offer for our best price for the, the courses. That's awesome. I love that. Cause you can, I like revisiting things. Sometimes it takes me a couple of times. Like I catch a pearl and I'm like, Ooh, and I run with it and then I miss something. <laughs> so I would want to see it again. Um, and catch something well, you mentioned earlier and, and we did uh, about your podcast um, and those are weekly, right? Um, and your blog also, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because when um, researching, I noticed your blog has a lot of information in it too. I mean, if you can't find <laughs> a topic that has, hasn't been covered, I'd be shocked if you, if you can't find that it's already been covered by you either on the podcast or the blog or both. Um, yeah. So are both of them weekly? Do you write weekly as well? Um, so I started, um, my, I started with video blogging. Um, well, no, that's not true. I started with written blogs and then, um, my online mentor, Jeff Walker has done video blogs for years. So in 2016 or 17, I started weekly video blogs, which are a video of me like five to 10 minutes, um, and a written blog that goes with that. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I started with my turn autism around podcast, which started in January of 2019. So that's almost three years old. We have more than 600,000 downloads. I just reached a hundred thousand subscribers on my turn autism around YouTube channel. That's awesome. Um, so, and then for a while I was doing both. Um, and then I kind of stopped doing both. Now I'm kind of circling back and and taking the, the podcast, which are usually 30 to 45 minutes. And I do them on video um, as well. And so now we're chunking out little parts and making a video blog and a written blog. And, you know, there's, there's this thing called SEO, which is search engine optimization. And, you know, it, it's, I mean, Laura, you run, you know, an online business and <laughs> it gets more and more complicated. Just a lot like of it's our- over my head. <laughs> I've seen all the SEOs in my website and like all this stuff when I'm posting blogs and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't even know what like hashtags to put or what tag, like, I don't have time for that. I just write the blog and I post it. And- yeah. 
Yeah. You know. So <laughs> I have a small team and um, they take my words and they um, write it out and, uh, and then I have other people checking it sometimes. That's nice. <laughs> new, I, I check it, but it's all based on my words uh, mm-hmm. that I say, because everything is transcribed and, you know, so it's like, I really want to reach, reach millions of people. I'm already reaching millions just in terms of video views every single year. Um, and uh, I want to reach millions and millions of people around the world. So um, the more you can share my stuff and, you know, um, it is, I assure you, it's very child-friendly and, you know, it's based on my history as a nurse, as a mom, as an advocate, and as a behavior analyst. Um, you know, I've done, I know there's like huge controversy about ABA and, you know, is ABA abuse and all this stuff. And I, I've done some recent podcasts on the four myths and truths about ABA. I just interviewed, which is going to come out, well, it'll come out um, by the time this comes out. Uh, I interviewed a BCBA, a board certified behavior analyst who was diagnosed with autism at age three with pretty severe autism. And now he's a BCBA. Mm -hmm. So so that's a great podcast. We're chunking that down into a blog Um, because it's like, it took two decades of my life for insurance reform to be covering ABA. Now it's like, um, you know, the vocal minority of, of adults who consider themselves autistic, either diagnosed or self-diagnosed, or, you know, uh, there's a lot of grumbling that ABA is not the way to go, which mm-hmm. adds to the confusion that parents are, are facing. And, and it breaks my heart to see mm-hmm. little kids just spending hours and days spinning around or, or not engaged with the things that are really going to move the needle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, I've been the target of some of those things because a few blogs have mentioned ABA because I'm not shy, shy about saying that Skylar's been in ABA since he was seven. Um, different programs, different um, facilities, just where we're closer to our home or, you know, we've moved around with with that. Um, but we've had an excellent experience at each of the locations The the people love him and, um, are so kind to him. And he's never been strapped to a chair. He's never been forced to make eye contact. He's never all the things that people say that every ABA center, BCBA, that they all do it this way and they don't. And that's not my experience. And it's just hard to take backlash from strangers who don't know you. They only know what you share. And I, like a lot of people share it all. I don't hide anything. Um, but to be told I'm a bad mom and my kid hates me. Um, if he could speak, he could tell me he hates me because I'm forcing him to do ABA. It's just cruel. I mean, usually you can slough that stuff off, but it gets to you sometimes like why be honest and share all these experiences for other parents to learn from if you're just going to get, you know, tons of hate. (laughs) So, and uh, what would be their, their solutions to helping your son or my son, they would have no idea. And, you know, I just read something the other day, like we need to respect autistic voices and, and, and it's like, I respect autistic voices. Um, but I think there needs to be respect for parents of children with autism who are providing 24 seven care mm-hmm. and are advocating and who are attending IEP meetings. And, um, you know, there needs to be respect all around. Mm-hmm. And some of this online 
bullying, if you will, uh, is, is just bullying and harassment and it's not respectful. So I can be respectful too mm -hmm. uh, to everyone, but parents of kids with severe autism who cannot advocate with their own voices need to have a very serious seat at the table, especially parents like you and I who have developed more expertise and more ability to spread the word. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. For sure. I mean, it's just not relatable. It's I don't engage because the fact that they can type out to me their responses my son cannot. So until you have parented or taken care of an adult who cannot speak, feed himself, dress himself, do a lot of the things that he could, would want to do. I know he wants to do all those things. He, he wants to be independent. He doesn't want me doing that stuff for him working on it. I'm never going to give up working on it, but until that day, I am his voice. I will be speaking for him until he can speak for himself. And then, you know, maybe he'll tell me, he doesn't want to do a certain therapy anymore. That's fine. I'll adhere to whatever he wants, but until that day comes, I'm going to keep and doing that, what I think is best. The other thing I'm thinking uh, that I should mention is um, the turn autism around approach is a four-step approach for no matter where you fall on the spectrum, or even if you don't fall on the spectrum, like our typical kids, it's, you know, the four-step approach is assessing the situation, planning, teaching and easy data collection so you know if it's working or not and so my goal for everyone listening no matter where your child or clients fall on the spectrum or your typical kids are for each child and each adult to be as safe as possible and that safety is going to look different mm -hmm. for, for Skylar, for Lucas, for our typical kids, for everybody listening safe as safe as possible as independent as possible and as happy as possible, reaching his or her fullest potential, which is not a static kind of bar. Mm -hmm. It's constantly uh, keeping the bar as high as possible. Um, every child and adult needs dignity, they, but they really need safety, independence, and happiness. Um, and so you need to keep working at that. They don't need double-digit addition. They don't need fully conversational. They don't need anything in particular. And you can still have a great life um, even as your child or adult with disabilities continues to struggle. You still have to. And that's what I love about you, Lori. And I interviewed you for my podcast and um, read your blogs and everything is, is no matter what, you still only have one life as a mom, as a person. And so um, you also need to be happy and have as happy a life as possible. So I know we're kind of probably preaching to the choir here of people listening who are, who are, you know, um, supportive of our, our messages, um, which are pretty similar, I think. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think the biggest thing with podcasts and blogs and all that is so that whoever is listening and maybe they are just kind of quiet in their home and they're afraid to say anything because they don't want to, you know, get attacked online or whatever. Just know that you have the two of us and anybody else that we associate with that you can reach out to. That's the whole point of doing these things. No one should ever be afraid to ask a question or challenge something and, and, you know, just find out what other people's experiences. Some have probably had good experience and some have probably had bad and you just kind of weigh it out for your family and your child and what's best for you um not all aba is great like mm -hmm. you know i've seen a lot of not great 
therapy, whether you call it ABA or speech or OT, not, and not that these people are bad people. They just don't, haven't been trained or don't have the experience to really handle uh, the whole situation. And, and, you know, um, it can look not great. So don't think that all ABA is good and all ABA is bad or anything. Just try to get back to, are we going in the right direction? Are we taking the right steps? Are we going towards safety, independence, and happiness? Um, is your child happy to attend whatever program or therapy? If they're not, that doesn't mean that's a bad person and they're abusive. It means they need more information. Maybe they need my turn autism around book. Maybe they need to watch a video on something um, and to try to have everybody continually go up the mountain. And sometimes there's just not a connection. I've seen that with, with Skylar. There's, you know, they rotate in every couple hours, the different ABA therapists. He doesn't just work with two people. He works with like four. Um, and, you know, of course he's an 18 year old. So I think he flirts with the girls too. He smiles at them, but there's certain therapists that he'll do anything they say, if they work on a certain goal that he won't do for anyone else. He's like, yep, I'll do it. Cause I want to impress them. It, it's just in, in, in the, um, the really good BCBAs and the really good therapy centers send home daily notes. They tell you everything. I mean, we know everything from his, you know, bowel movements to his eating to his, you know, whatever they give us the most detail. And, you know, if he naps for 20 minutes and, you know, which therapists had him laughing and, you know, which ones he didn't really want to work for. And they monitor all that so that if it's repeated, they'll just kind of rotate somebody out of his schedule and see if somebody better works with him. Um, there's very few, at least in our experience here, there's been very few males that are RBTs and um, the few that have been there, he loves because they remind him of his dad. I mean, usually they're taller and they just, I don't know, he just gravitates to them. And sadly, they, they don't last long. They, you know, move on or whatever. Um, so that's something to investigate too. You should never be afraid to drop in and just say, hey, I want to drop in and observe from a, another window or whatever, where my child won't be distracted by me. But you should absolutely be able to come in and observe anytime you want to. If they don't let you and they, you know, put up roadblocks, I think I'd be a little concerned and I'd ask a lot of questions. So there shouldn't yeah. be any, any hit, anything hidden at all with your therapies. So, yeah. Well, you had mentioned a little bit ago about, um, you know, just having a life and like having your own life. And um, sometimes when we talk about self-care, people cringe because it's like, really, you know, self-care to a lot of people, I think they think spas and like, you know, going to get my nails done and whatever. And a lot of people like us don't have time for that. <laughs> I, I wish I did. So, you know, when I say self-care, I just want to make sure that people are carving out even 30 minutes to just take a deep breath and debrief and not think about autism for 30 minutes, just, you know, not sweat every detail of our child's lives that they need us to do a million things and you lose yourself. So how have you in all of this work you're doing, which is tremendous advocating and book writing and podcasting and all this stuff, how have you found time to carve out for you or you and your husband uh, outside of autism? Yeah, some, some good advice that I got from the um, developmental pediatrician who diagnosed Lucas was, you know, you're not gonna be able to do everything as a four person family you know, you're going to have to kind of divide and conquer, which I know is hard. You know, there needs to be some time for just Mary and Spencer or Mary and Charles or three of you and four of you and you and just Lucas. And, 
And because Lucas doesn't really travel that well, I mean, when he was young, we brought him to Disney and, and that sort of thing, but he hasn't been on a plane for over a decade. So we have used that, um, that guidance. And I also have been fortunate because um, I hired au pairs to, to live with us for- That's awesome. Um, years and which which is awesome but you also have to be okay with like I swear half my county has my coat to my door it's like Grand Central Station you know there's lacks there's people in your space yeah there's that'd be hard people, yeah um yep. but you know my husband's a busy physician and you know if I wouldn't have had uh, real serious help, not just a little babysitter here, or ba- you know, because Lucas would do therapy, but there needed to be somebody 18 or older to also be here to sign the paper and to be the custodian. So um, I learned pretty early on, like there was not going to be a lot of things I could do unless I got some help. Um, and so, you know, I tried some just part-time babysitters, but I felt like they were, you know, I was fifth on their list. Like I get a call. Oh, my boyfriend's neighbor's dog died. So I'm gonna... <laughs> oh gosh, that's our life. We have you no know, respite. We have no help. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just like, so I have been a master at advocacy to get funding, to get services. And I've also been a master at hiring people to help me so that now most of the time I have spent has been about getting my PhD, working as a behavior analyst, writing my books, starting my online program and marketing and everything. Um, but it also has enabled me to, um, to get my nails done uh, or to go out to dinner with a friend, to know that Lucas is being cared for from this time to this time on a Thursday. Like I remember my typical son, Spencer was like, we don't need, you know, Susie here because we're both here. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> if you don't schedule Susie and she doesn't, she can't count on those hours, yeah. then she's <laughs> not going to come. So I, I used to be a nurse manager. So I was all about recruiting and retaining nurses so I think that whole, like, they need reinforcement too. And I've been, mm-hmm. I managed to keep like one of Lucas's therapists for like eight years straight, you know, like we have good retention here. I want to keep the therapist happy. I want to keep me happy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I have, um, you know, and I've been fortunate because I, you know, I was able to hire help. Like I, I, um, really feel for people that, you know, are financially strapped. Now, however, I will say I also have been creative in terms of um, college students who need credit mm-hmm. or, you know, advocating for funding um, because I would not have been able to afford all of this therapy and people. And, and now, you know, he has have workers come in and I, I don't pay for that. Like I paid for, you know, years of an au pair, well, different au pairs who've come into my life. But um, I also ha- I live in my, um, where I grew up. And so I have my parents still, and they have been a huge help. My sister, um, my nephews, uh, you know, are now have workers a little bit, you know, so like, I, I do think that you can, you know, I've had uh, participants in my online course who have 
asked for volunteers at church, you know, babysitting, co-op situations, like be resourceful too. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't have financial resources. I mean, that actually that mom that had the three-year-old and the 11-year-old with the first bowel movement, she wanted to stay in my program or she wanted to join the next program or whatever it was. And I didn't know it, but she like said, oh, she, she emailed me and she's like, you know, the 11-year-old had this first bowel movement. And she said, I started a GoFundMe account two months ago to, to take this course. I'm like, wow. <laughs> okay you know somebody bought it for their birth uh, asked for it for a birthday present or holiday present you know like I think I've worked with people without financial resources and the you can if you can learn to advocate you Mm -hmm. can get the services you need yeah yeah for sure I think um I get in my own way a little bit now to be fair, there is hardly any respite. Like, I mean, we struggle, we can't find anybody. And when we do interview people, like they say they can work. And then, you know, it's like, well, I can't do weekends. I'm like, well, that's the only time I want somebody. <laughs> I need a break you know, on the weekends or whatever. Um, but even when we get somebody to come, I feel like I can't leave the house. Like I'll leave them alone, like on the main level or whatever. And I'll go in my office and do something or whatever. So I'm around in case something happens. But I just, it takes me a while to trust someone around Skylar because I don't want him to hit them or pull their hair. And I always warn everybody, like, put your hair up. And if it's a female and all that stuff. And I feel like it's so much stress on me to prepare the person and to like observe that it's almost just better that I take care of it. So I, um, I did learn at least in, in our state, in Indiana, they, um, once your child turns 18, you can apply to be the respite provider on the waiver. So I did that like this summer. And so now I get paid to do his laundry and to anytime I'm caring for him, feeding him, doing anything, I bill the hours and then, um, I have the money for his future. <laughs> so I'm like, well, somebody's going to get paid for doing his laundry and whatever, might as well be me. And then I'll just turn it over to him. But yeah, it's a challenge. I, I know. I think it is hard. Um, I, I think because I started so young, like in terms of they both Spencer and Lucas were young when I started with babysitters and au pairs <laughs> and, and Spencer could fully tell me what was happening, which was nice because yeah. he's eight months younger. So I could, I could tell right away if something was off, like he'd be the little tattletale, you yeah. know, if there was anything going on. And then, you know, the au pair would watch the new therapist. And so it's like, and the au pair was kind of the watchdog. And then, you know, so that's nice. Yeah, um, there is, there is that trust. And, and, you know, there is that we, as the moms know our kids best. And you just hope you find someone that loves them. It's like you do, you know, even for the future, that's my biggest thing is I pray that somebody will take care of him. Like we do when we're not able to, or not here any longer. So it's hard. That's another, that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother one. <laughs> oh my I goodness. I don't have any easy answers yeah. for that either. Well, what is the, the, I know you're everywhere. So what is the most um, effective way for people to find you? Your website, your Facebook page, and, or what's yeah, the I best? Think, um, I think my website, you know, there's a little um, microscope icon at the top. You can search anything in there. My website's marybarbera.com. If you don't know how to spell it or you forget my last name just searching Mary autism plus whatever. 
Um, all my um, social media handles are have a link, marybarbera.com forward slash Facebook forward slash YouTube mm-hmm. forward slash Instagram. Nice that you got all that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's called Pretty Links and you can make it go to the right place. And so yep. I got that tip from somebody years ago and I was like, well, that's easy. Um, so, you know, it is overwhelming. So if you're thinking like, yeah, I might want to look into that, that course where everything is pretty much what I would tell you if you only had limited time, you know, in the right order, um, just attend a free workshop, marybarbera.com forward slash workshop. And, um, yeah, so I'd love to have, you know, anybody from your audience join our community, our, um, our mission. I, I think, uh, you know, we're all on very similar missions, you know, Lori, I've been following your work for a couple of years and, you know, there's several moms like us. So it's several that I've had on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Kate from finding Cooper's voice on my podcast. I had mama Takash's voice. Um, Eileen lamb was on my podcast. I love Eileen. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, I think we're all kind of, uh, singing the same song. Mm-hmm. And all of our communities will continue to embrace all of us so that we mm-hmm. can raise people up. And Absolutely. That's the perfect mission. <laughs> we just need to help each other. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Um, and it's just been great to connect with you and I will um, log up your website and everything in the show notes. So people can just click on the links. Um, so yes, I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. All right. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I look forward to collaborating with you in the future. Sounds great. Have a great day. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.